morning and welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists. I'm your host, Raina Andrews, and the, for those tuning in for the first time, let me introduce myself. I'm a mother, a children's book author, a public health advocate, and an engaged community member. I'm your host of the Coffee Conversations with Scientists for the 2023 series. You know, Coffee Conversations is brought to you by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment, which is a statewide nonprofit working to improve health and advance health equity in Wisconsin. Since early 2021, we have been sharing the science behind today's most important health topics. And today, boy, do we have a topic for you. So as school is out, young people have a lot more time on their hands, and I can guarantee you they probably have their devices in their hands and are tooling around and having a lot of school time. And so today's topic is timely as just recently, the Surgeon General released an urgent public health statement on the negative effects social media has on youth mental health post COVID-19. Although social media offers the benefit of connecting people and offering an alternative community for some of the marginalized, in recent years, national surveys of youth have shown major increases in certain mental health symptoms. Included, including depressive symptoms and suicidal ideation due to certain social media engagements. Now, today I'm joined with Dr. Jeff Karst, who is the pediatric psychologist in the Mac Fund Center at Children's Wisconsin, and he's also associate professor at the Medical College of Wisconsin. He's here to talk to us about the new cautionary effects of social media on young people. So welcome, Dr. Karst. Thank you, Raina. It's great to be here. Yes. So for those of you out there in the interwebs, we will be covering a great list of questions regarding the effects social media has on our youth's mental health. And so I encourage you all to tune in and there will be an opportunity at the end for you to ask your questions. So be sure to type them in our chat. We'll try to get to as many as possible. So let's get started. Now, Dr. Karst, can you please summarize the Surgeon General's advisory on the negative effects social media is having on the mental health of our youth? And so what, what I'd really like to know for parents like myself, what are some of the key takeaways that we should really be aware of? But I think what's important is before we jump into this, like what is social media? Is it Facebook and Instagram or is it also TikTok and YouTube? What, what all is considered actual social media? To start off with is just defining this kind of amorphous construct of social media. And I have a graphic here that shows this has really evolved over time. I think initially, those apps like Facebook were what we considered to be social media, and it was really restricted to maybe a few major uh, apps and, and websites like that. And now this has really evolved to things like YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok, even video games that teens are playing that have this ability to chat with people around the world. So what we know is social media isn't just these, again, limited few apps. There's actually a broad range of different ways teens and youth are connecting with one another over these online platforms. So the Surgeon General Advisory, I like to think of the Surgeon General Warning, what, what is he saying about the cautionary um, advisements around social media? Yeah, it's a, it's a really worth reading, and I encourage people who are interested to actually look through the report because it's actually really broad. And I think the take-home message, if there's one thing that it really emphasizes, is that teens are using social media a lot. 95% of teens report that they are connected to social media. And they're using it up to three and a half hours a day. So this isn't something that's just being used a little bit of the time. And the, the take-home message being they're using social media almost all the time, and we don't really know the effects. There has been some research done, 
But it's always concerning when we say that something is that ubiquitous, that common in the lives of teens, and we don't really know how it's affecting them. Uh, but like you mentioned, the preliminary signs are, are kind of concerning. We're seeing potentially some relationships with increased depression, increased anxiety, increased self-esteem issues. So there's enough of those early warning signs of correlations with concerning mental health problems that it raises some red flags about we need to do more research and we need to better understand what these effects really are. I would agree with you. I feel like even when my son was just uh, a wee tot, I mean, just a, a few months, it's like he was gravitating to these electronic devices. And when we talk about youth and adolescence, are there are there any particular age groups or demographics that are more vulnerable to these negative effects? One of the things that the Surgeon General's report also highlights is that this is a really individualized thing. Children develop at different times and different ages are associated with certainly different stages of development. Um, but what we know is adolescence is characterized by a few key changes. The brain appears to be going through sort of a highly sensitive period of development at this time. Uh, but some of the characteristics and hallmarks of teens in general is that they can be highly impressionable. They can be highly emotional. They often have a difficult time thinking about long-term consequences of their actions. And they're very much forming this sense of self-identity and trying to figure out who they are. And all of those characteristics that aren't necessarily bad things leave them particularly vulnerable to the impacts of social media. So we really see this pre-teen and teenage years, the adolescent age period, as the time period where there's perhaps the greatest risk and vulnerability to social media, even though we know it can affect young children and certainly it can affect adults as well. You know, you mentioned earlier that this is somewhat of a, a more recent phenomenon of, of even having this technology and having these platforms. So there really aren't any longitudinal studies around this, but have there been any studies or research conducted on the long-term effects of social media use on youth's mental health? Yeah, you know, what we see again, first, uh, kind of looking at this graphic, what we know is that it is being used almost constantly. Um, and so some of the early studies are just trying to characterize what does the use of social media look like. Uh, and then the work that has been done suggests that it is associated with increased rates of depression. It is associated with increased anxiety. And certainly that we're seeing that there is almost a addictive-like nature to the relationship between teens and social media. In fact, one of the studies that I was reading through kind of regarded this, it said teens sort of interact with social media almost like a casino, where it feels like it is designed to keep them in and to keep them engaged in that social media use. Uh, and that addictive nature not only could cause some of these mental health problems, mm -hmm. but it's also potentially keeping them away from some healthy behaviors. So another area of concern that these studies are showing is that teens are sleeping less, they're mm. getting less physical activity, and some of the kind of healthy social interactions that they might otherwise be getting are potentially being overtaken by their social media use. And all of those things are fairly concerning when we think about what is healthy and, and normative for teenagers. I can completely understand that, especially some of our younger populations, as you need your rest for your brain to develop and for you to grow and for your cells to rejuvenate. And this sediment lifestyle, I remember as a kid going out, riding my bike with my rollerblades and skating and playing in the neighborhood, but kids just want to come home and, and just rush to their device. Now, 
when you think about the content that's being put out on social media, it's really everyone's highlight reel. And there's this phenomenon called FOMO, fear of missing out. And as an adult, when I see people getting engaged, people getting married, going on these lavish trips, some of it's, it, it's, it's their highlight reel and some of it's totally fake. It's not real. And so in what ways does social media contribute to the feelings of isolation and loneliness for our young people? Yeah, it's exactly like you described, Rena. I think the big challenge for teens is that they're comparing themselves constantly to others, as maybe all of us are. I certainly can identify <laughs> with that as a parent. You look at social media, you look at what people post, and your initial reaction is, is that what I'm doing? Is that what I should be doing? Um, and so teens are being exposed to this kind of constant comparison to others' highlight reels. People aren't posting about, I got a bad grade on a test or I sat at home today because I wasn't invited out with friends. They're posting about the fun things that they did and the enjoyable moments that they're having and the picture of them that looks really good. And so that can really contribute to some self-esteem concerns and mm -hmm. self-image and body dissatisfaction concerns when you're not only constantly comparing yourself to potentially your friend group or your peer group, but with social media, you're comparing yourself to celebrities and people all around the world that are presenting a very curated and airbrushed image of themselves. You know, I was just thinking that. So, so to stay on that point, how does the constant exposure of unrealistic standards of beauty and lifestyle on social media constantly being pushed in your face, how does that affect young people's self-esteem and how they see themselves? Looking at the Surgeon General's report, it's one of the largest areas of concern is that it really does seem to especially seem to be having an impact on adolescent females and their sense of their body and their self-worth and their self-identity. Mm -hmm. And we're noticing that there are some concerning mental health symptoms that can arise uh, as a result of that kind of constant comparison, again, to images that are distorted and unrealistic. Right. So even these images of uh, being unrealistic and feelings of distorted, I think this is also a breeding ground for attacks. And so I'm thinking of cyberbullying. Can right. you discuss the impact of cyberbullying and maybe online harassment on just the mental health of youth? Yeah, cyberbullying is really a major problem. Uh, and it, a lot of the teens that I work with talk about it. One of the biggest challenges is that it can be anonymous. So again, it's not necessarily even their direct peer group. Uh, and it's also something that can be sort of hidden. It's not something that adults in the school or at home are necessarily observing. And the other, I think, really challenging thing about cyberbullying is a lot of teens tend to be ashamed of what they're being uh, told online, what messages they're hearing. They might even be ashamed of something that they said or something that they posted that got a negative response. So that initial tendency to reach out and get help from adults tends to not be there. And so a lot of teens tend to be suffering through cyberbullying in silence. And as a psychologist, that always concerns me when I hear from teens, this has actually been going on for several months, but I haven't told anybody about it because I'm scared to kind of own up to my role in this process. Right. So mom or dad, the caregiver probably said, you need to get off social media, but you were sneaking on and getting on it anyway. So now you're in this snafu, this issue, this challenge. But, you know, I'm I'm wondering... Even in the phantom attacks and in cyberbullying that happens and this FOMO, the fear of missing out, I'm wondering from the social media platforms perspective, are there any ethical considerations or responsibilities on the side of the social media platform side? Um, do they have any accountabilities for protecting our young people? 
Yeah, that's a big question. And one thing that's nice in the Surgeon General's report is they outline, here are things the social media platforms can and should be doing. Here are things teens should be doing. Here are things parents should be doing. So there's really a set of recommendations across the board. For the social media platforms, the urge is to be more transparent about what the risks are. Just as medications have to list side effects, just as anything out there, there's this obligation to say, here's what could be problematic about use of this product. Social media companies need to do the same. They need to talk about the risk of addiction, the risk of depression and anxiety that seem to go along with frequent social media use. Yeah. Uh, the second piece that they really encourage is prioritizing health and safety in their design, especially minimizing the extent to which teens and marginalized groups are exposed to harmful and negative content online. So when you say um, really limit their, their exposure, aren't, aren't there sometimes parental guidelines or guardrails that you can put up? Is that what you're talking about? There are. Uh, what they're finding is that teens tend to be very clever in getting around those things. Um, but unfortunately, also that the social media algorithms are feeding teens things that they shouldn't be. And they're mm -hmm. exposed to harmful, hateful content that is out there and that should be filtered, but for whatever set of reasons is not always being done so uh, appropriately. Yeah, I'd like to think that that the report was an all doom and gloom. So I'm wondering, like, are there any positive aspects or potential benefits of social media that can outweigh the negative effects for our youth and their mental health? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting when I talk to teens, they certainly are quick to mention those things, the positives that they experience. Um, this is really true for the teens I work with in the MacBone Center, children with cancer and blood disorders who are isolated from their peers during their treatment. They find it's a very helpful way to stay connected to their friends and stay connected to their school community. We also know that uh, teens who are from other marginalized or minoritized groups, especially LGBTQ teens, mm -hmm. really seem to benefit from having online platforms where they can find some solidarity and some support, especially if that isn't immediately available in their immediate peer group. So there does seem to be really some benefits to social media use, as long as it's sort of within these appropriate parameters uh, and is being safeguarded in some way. Right, so it sounds like there are some pros and there are certainly some cons, and it sounds like everything in moderation, but particularly it's not only how much time you're spending online, but it's what you're spending your time consuming. Absolutely. Um, so to that effect, what advice would you give to young people who are struggling with their mental health as a result of social media? I think the first thing I always emphasize is if you're having immediate safety concerns, you need to get help immediately. Even if it's something social media related, calling 911, going to an emergency room, calling the new mental health hotline 988, all of those things are appropriate steps if you're concerned about your own safety or the safety of somebody that you know. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, I think it's, I encourage teens just talk to a trusted adult, whether it's a psychologist or a counselor at school, a teacher at school, or hopefully somebody at home, your parent or caregiver that you can trust about what you're dealing with and seek out ways to get some additional support and help. Uh, as a psychologist, one thing I emphasize is these are things we're well-versed to talking about. This is the type of topic that as a child and adolescent therapist, we it's sort of in our wheelhouse is talking through the challenges that do arise with social media use. You know, I think it's important for us to highlight again the number 988. 
I think like 211, which is the emergency um, hotline if you need like social service help. But I don't think enough people know about the 988 hotline. So can you just share again what that number is for and how they dial in? Sure, that was rolled out recently as a mental health hotline. So it really allows somebody to be immediately connected to a uh, trained therapist operator who can help navigate mental health concerns in a kind of immediate and confidential way. And so they can provide that initial guidance and support, making sure that teens or anybody who needs that help can get directed to the right resources. And again, first and foremost, just to help ensure your safety in those acute moments of distress. Got it. Dr. Karst, I have one more question for you, but I'd like to, again, encourage our audience. If you have a question, I see some questions in the chat. Please be sure to put them in the chat because we're going to turn to you next. So the last question, as we're talking about what can youth do, the other side of that are what steps can caregivers of young people take to really maintain a healthy relationship with social media while really safeguarding their mental health? It's like you don't want to cut it off altogether, but you really want to put up some pr protective measures. What would you suggest? I think the couple of key things that I encourage caregivers to consider is first, just talking to your teens about social media use, making sure that it's an open and honest conversation, and really helping guide them to, again, use social media because they are going to, but to do so in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. And the Surgeon General's report talks about this, that one piece of that is just helping them question the accuracy of things that they see online being able to decipher whether something is true or not based on kind of what they're seeing and what information they're receiving. The second piece of that is just making sure that they know that if something problematic does happen, they're being cyberbullied, if they're exposed to hateful content or they're being threatened in any way, that there is a plan in place to go get help and that mm -hmm. caregivers communicate to teens that there is no problem that is worth suffering in silence, that you can go get help and support with this concern. Um, and lastly, again, just to make sure that social media use is kept within a certain time frame, to set aside times that are free of devices, free of social media, that teens are getting enough sleep, they're eating meals appropriately, they're getting physical activity, and even some in-person social interaction. You know, I'm glad that you mentioned that, just really having an appropriate time carved out to where you're not. Um, on your social media devices. And I think that goes hand in hand where the kids are sometimes on their device and their parents, the parents are on the device as well. So being really mindful in, and intentional about carving out that time. You know, one thing that I've done within our household to that point, Dr. Karst, is at dinner time, at meal time, that is the time where turn the devices off, we'll connect and we'll talk as a family. I, you know, it's, it's sad to say old school, but I think that's a good reminder for me that I don't have to be married to my device either. Absolutely. So, thank you for that. So now we're going to turn to our audience. You know, one of the first questions is, what report is being referenced? Can a copy be shared with families and educators? And they're talking about the Surgeon General's report. Where, where can people find this report? Yeah, if you actually just Google or search for Surgeon General Report Social Media, uh, there is both a one-page, very succinct summary and the full report available online. Uh, and if you're intimidated by that idea of a full report, it's actually very readable and digestible. I think it's only like 25 pages or something, and it's written in very plain language. So I actually think it's a really helpful guide for both anybody working with youth, but also just for parents and caregivers to look up. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that this um, that this that this cautionary um, 
memo came out by the Surgeon General because I see how addictive social media is for my son and for myself and to now not only call it out as an issue, but to also provide recommendations on what can be done um, on a systems wide level, I think is extremely important and helpful. Um, one of the questions from our audience is, are there any is there any recognition of this trend within schools? It seems that the mental health of young people is something that requires a community response. Absolutely. And the Surgeon General's report briefly touches on the school response as well. And I think that the same message is really being sent to educators that this is something that we actually have to proactively address and encouraging educators to talk about this, especially within the that broader concept of how do you help teens identify if what they're seeing is valid or not. There's a lot of this that relates back to, you know, this is coffee conversations with scientists. Uh, some of this is really about the scientific method of, okay, I saw something online. I'm actually going to do my research now and try to figure out if that's true or not. Or I'm going to kind of follow up on this information that I'm receiving to try to better understand it. Uh, so a lot of what schools can do and teach are those critical thinking skills. Uh, as well as those coping skills that can be really helpful for teens that are navigating this. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely see where parents and caregivers at home can help reinforce those in partnership. So as the, the person posing this question from a community response, that also has to do with the stakeholders in the home. Absolutely. Um, so the next question is, is it true that social media impacts the body's dopamine levels and that that's part of why young people feel addicted to it? Yeah, in fact, again, this is really particularly true when we're thinking about the type of social media that's being consumed now, where mm -hmm. it tends to lead to a lot of short, immediate bursts of enjoyable or entertaining material. And there is some concern that that's associated with lower attention span, but also kind of to that point of that question, it seems to mimic this reward circuitry that we see with addictive behavior. Uh, and I think it speaks to the importance of seeking out enjoyable activities outside of the realm of social media. Uh, it's often harder to just say, stop doing this thing you really enjoy. What mm -hmm. is often more beneficial is to say, here's something else that is also enjoyable, but gets you away from some of those negative effects. Yes. So I, I operate in the food and the health space. And, and typically it's, it's not don't eat this, eat that. They're more of health nudges, like provide foods to encourage. So we're not taking it away. It's you making those powerful decisions for yourself based on encouraging options. Absolutely. Um, it, so is the this next question is, is the medical community putting pressure on tech companies to build apps with health in mind? I think it's something that the Surgeon General's report really emphasizes has to happen more. Uh, one thing that we are, again, trying to do is have enough research to make evidence-based recommendations. And there is a stronger and stronger push as we're seeing some of these effects take hold. I think the pandemic really exacerbated the problem in many ways. And as we see the broader youth mental health crisis seem to be flaring up across our country, mm -hmm. uh, it's something that the mental health community especially is, I think, really sounding the alarms now that these tech companies have a responsibility. This is truly, again, a risk and, and, a, and a crisis situation for teens that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the earlier questions asked about, is there any recognition of this trend within schools and what can they do as a community? This next question really looks like, and, and you said, you know, to that like schools can help create this sense for, for young people to decipher and distinguish 
um, what's good, what's bad, and to help them self-manage. This next question is along those same lines and asking, are there any types of lessons or what types of resources are available that teachers can tap into or use for different age levels in the classroom to really help build this community as you talk about? Yeah, I think there's actually the good thing is there's a, a, quite a bit of information out there. And so in reading through the Surgeon General's report, it actually cites and references several resources and guides that are available and points to some specific kind of areas of training and education that are out there, which is really nice because it doesn't mean you have to go into this blind and just trying to help in any way that you can. Um, the other thing that I found really beneficial is actually just talking to teens about it and hearing their perspective, getting their firsthand account of how they use social media, because so often the science and the guidance about these topics is written by adults and it's talked about by scientists or policy leaders. And as helpful as that is, and as important as that is, I found it's really helpful to also just ask teens, mm -hmm. how do you use TikTok? What do you do on YouTube? What kind of things are you seeing from your friends or from your peer group? And you'll get a lot of really helpful information just from opening those questions up. Um, because again, the, it's, it's constantly evolving. So you always need to be having that ongoing communication with teens to figure out what the new trends are and what they're being kind of uh, involved in and, and active with online because it it's always changing enough that the guidance of a year ago might no longer be relevant or as applicable today. Yes, the good old fashioned dialogue, the <laughs> art of very basic communication. Yeah. And so I, I think this is so good, Dr. Kars, this is really rich. And, you know, one of the questions from our from our viewers here is asking about a criteria or some type of chart of signs that can be created for families to recognize the signs of this kind of addiction. Because right. I think um, when you and I were talking offline, we talked about kind of surveying our the young people in our life and learning that, yeah, they, they'll acknowledge that's an issue, but it's not really an issue that affects them. And it seems like this level, th these layers of denial. And so for parents and family guardians, how can we really recognize that this is truly a problem for our, for our loved ones? Yeah, it's such a great point because the, the teen sense of invincibility also kind of rears its ugly head here. And it's a, like you mentioned, it's a common theme when I talk to teens. They'll say, you know, A, B, and C are problematic, but it doesn't affect me. And that's sort of the constant refrain. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that instead of talking about how social media is affecting them negatively directly, can also be helpful to point to, again, some of those healthy living behaviors that are or are not happening. So part of that checklist or monitoring might just be, are you getting enough sleep? You know, you're recommended as a teenager to get eight to 10 hours of sleep at night. Is that happening? Are you getting enough time to spend on homework? Are you spending enough time getting your recommended 30 to 60 minutes of physical activity per day? And putting some of those parameters in place uh, can be really helpful to say, okay, if social media is impinging on or kind of taking over those other things, then we really need to limit use. Uh, mm -hmm. And in fact, there was a study where they had teens limit to 30 minutes or less of social media use per day, and it was associated with an improvement in all sorts of mental health symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, what you just recommended in terms of getting eight to 10 hours of, of rest and um, really limiting your screen time, I think we're talking about in the context of our youth who are probably the most vulnerable in this space. But I think as adults, these are things that we can also adopt 
because I, I can tell you as an adult, there's a lot of anxiety that's coming out of this, of being constantly addicted to checking your email, Facebook, Instagram, your messages, text messages. And so all of these are really good tips for adults to apply themselves. <clears throat> you know, earlier we talked about FOMO, the fear of missing out. And, and one of the audience members wanted us to repeat it, but really expound on how this is a problem in the world of social media. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge is that what you see on social media is by definition crafted and meant to show one side or a very curated image of who somebody is or what somebody's experiences are. And so for teens seeing that and constantly being exposed to that, it builds up a sense of pressure and that pressure to constantly achieve at the highest, to look their best, to perform a certain way, and that pressure really can wear down uh, on teens over time. And again, I think we experience this as adults and as caregivers as well. Um, and the one of the interesting things that I've heard directly from teens is that even when they're enjoying time on their own, when they're isolating or having time to themselves by choice, they feel like social media suddenly comes in and makes that experience negative that they are suddenly feel a pressure of, oh, but now my friend posted a picture of themselves out doing something with three of my other friends. And now this enjoyable night to myself alone suddenly doesn't feel so good. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's not only a fear of missing out, but it's actually making some healthy isolation time feel like a negative. And that, that really is a double-edged sword for teens. Right, right. You know, we, we, we only have time for one more question. I think this is a very important question, Dr. Kars, especially as you encourage young people to really get into old-fashioned dialogue and, and really separate yourself from your devices. And, and this one question is important because it asks about um, what are some of the tools to help young people um, socialize in person instead, like... The question is, how can you avoid social anxiety or encourage um, confrontation, face-to-face -face socializ socialization in young people versus using social media, electronics to communicate? What I think they're saying is, is that some people just feel more comfortable socializing and addressing concerns um, online because there's that protective barrier rather than expressing themselves in person. So how do you address that social anxiety that sometimes exists with face-to-face -face contact and communication? That's a really great question. And it's something that I think is more prevalent as social media use becomes teens' primary way of communicating, is that in-person interaction and especially in-person conflict can feel more difficult. So part of that process is normalizing that it can feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Talking to somebody for the first time in person or approaching a problem or an issue in a friendship can actually be emotionally challenging and that's okay. Those feelings are going to improve over time as you become more accustomed to that. And the second piece of advice I would give is to look for what your teen's interests are, what their hobbies are, what their identity is, and use that to guide groups or clubs or activities that they can find to find some peers that might share in some of those values or interests that they have. That often is a really good passageway to making those types of connections that they might otherwise be seeking out online. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a very strong point for us to end. And so with that, I want to thank you, Dr. Kars, for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on this very, very timely and important topic. Thank you, Raina. I really appreciate it. 
Yes. And for all of you out there in the interwebs, if we did not get your questions, feel free to send me a note at conversations at mcw.edu. I hope you all enjoyed our um, coffee conversations with scientists and we look forward to seeing you next month. Have a great week. Bye. The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. Coffee Conversations with Scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.